so so yesterday Nathan was um, was touching on a few points that I just want to kind of repeat and then deepen a little bit together today. He was speaking about how what we experience is dependent on what we're paying attention to. Yeah, that's one really important thing that we can begin to explore and see. What we experience depends to a degree on what we're paying attention to. Yeah. So what I'm not paying attention to, I won't be experiencing in the same way. Yes. Another, another way of saying that. And often what, we're pay, what we pay attention to is habitual. Yeah? It comes from a force of habit rather than from uh, a choice. Yeah. So our attention is pulled towards something and in that moment that that is happening we might not be aware most of the time we're not even aware that there's other things that we could equally be paying attention to yeah because the force of the habit is so strong and it's really important to kind of pay attention to this to be aware of this and to see that both this um to see that this movement of the attention is habitual and conditioned. Yeah, so it's a habit, and the habit is reliant on certain conditions. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. A habit is reliant on certain conditions. Some of them are external conditions. Some of them are um, conditions that are, you know, in the mind. Yeah. They're internal conditions, habits in the mind. And a big part of what we're doing in Dharma practice, what we're doing here, is to get to know these movements of mind. Yeah? To get to know, to become familiar with these movements of our minds. And each of our minds is similar to other minds and also it has its own <laughs> kind of flavors and tendencies. So we're getting to know this mind that we're... This mind, this particular mind that we're living with and living through. Yeah? That's kind of part of the practice. So where does my mind usually go? And how does it do it? Yeah? How does it do it? How does it get kind of interested or caught in something and not in something else? Yeah, so that's a big part of what we're doing. Another part of what we're doing is... We're cultivating, Nathan was touching on that in the talk yesterday, we're cultivating, developing the flexibility of the mind. So the mind has flexibility in it. Yeah, the ability to put attention on one thing and not on another and to move the attention from one to the other. So the mind has flexibility. And through meditation practice, one of the things we're doing is like yoga practice for the mind. Yeah, so just like when we're doing yoga, we're developing the flexibility of the body through meditation practice we're actually developing the flexibility of the mind it's a big part of what's happening and a third thing that we're doing through practice 
is that we're cultivating or developing mental attitudes yeah. like interest, things we've been talking about, interest, kindness, gratitude, joy. We're developing these because they in themselves can both become more um, habitual, so they become like positive habits that we develop. And when they're present, they affect how we experience life. Yeah. So if the mind is, in, uh, is interested, that affects experience. Yeah. If the mind has got gratitude in it, that affects how we experience things. Does this make sense to people? Yeah. So there's a, a story I really like from um, a teacher called Sharon Salzberg. Some of you may have heard of her. She's one of the senior teachers in our tradition and uh, particularly known for teaching metta practice, this practice of friendliness and goodwill and loving kindness. And so she tells this story about um, the first time she really practiced metta intensely. And uh, they had just founded... Um, IMS, the Insight Meditation Society in, in, uh, in the U.S., in Massachusetts. They just started it, and as a way of kind of celebrating the founding of the meditation center, they did a, all the founders did a one-month retreat together. And so she came to do this one-month retreat, and she decided she was going to practice metta for this one month. And before that, she had just done a little bit of metta practice here and there, but decided... I'm going to dedicate a month to this practice. And because she had a month, she spent the first week just sending metta to herself. So the whole week she was, because she had the whole month, so she just did metta to herself with the intention of then expanding the practice, for those of you who know it, to, to other people and beings. And after a month, after a week, sorry, she got a message um, and she had, I don't, she doesn't even say what happened, but something happened which meant she had to leave the retreat and go and attend to something in her life. So she was feeling two things. One was she was feeling like, oh, nothing's happened. You know, I spent this week doing this meta practice and I feel exactly the same as I felt a week you know, before it started. Nothing's changed. And the other, she was feeling a lot of guilt that, you know, she'd spent the whole week just sending metta to herself and then nothing had happened and she hadn't sent metta to anybody else. So she was feeling, you know, not great at that point. As she was packing up her things to leave the meditation center and go to wherever she needed to go. So as she was packing her things and feeling this kind of dissatisfaction and guilt, she dropped a bottle of something, you know, as she was packing her bag. And it was a glass bottle. So she dropped it and it broke and it was a mess. And these words came out of her mouth, which she was quite used to hearing, which was, oh, Sharon, you klutz, you know, you kind of really um, clumsy person you know, which is kind of the way she's used to relating to herself. Oh, Sharon, you klutz. 
And then right after that came an addition that she wasn't used to hearing, which was, but I love you. So, oh, Sharon, you klutz, but I love you. And this was a really powerful moment for her in her practice, yeah, of just seeing how just a week of this practice had made such an impact in the relationship to herself. So the habit was still there, but it was held in a different relationship. Yeah. So the habit still came out, you klutz, but I love you. And that changed the whole experience and really gave her faith in this practice, which meant that she carried on deepening in it, which meant that for many of us, we met the practice because of her, yeah? because of that experience, because of that moment. Yeah. So it keeps, keeps on rippling in the lives of people. And I want to kind of look more into that, into that this evening with you. Um, this power of cultivation of states of mind yeah, that we do through practice, through the cultivation of the flexibility of the mind and then particular attitudes that we can bring um, and we can nourish and we can develop in the practice. So this process yeah, of getting to know our experience, getting to know the way our mind operates, and then through that process, rewiring our mind. I don't know if Nathan used this. I, I don't think you used that yesterday. It's, he spoke about Rick Hansen yesterday, this neuropsychologist. Um, and this is one of the terms he uses. So we're reprogramming. Yeah, the mind is like made up of these, you know, networks of connections. And we are redesigning <laughs> through certain practices that we do. We are rewiring, we are redesigning, we are changing the network of the brain. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, we live in an age where science comes in and really supports um, these practices that have been around for thousands of years. And actually that can be seen, you know, they connect Medi practitioners who've been meditating for a really long time and watch what's going on in their brain. Yeah, and they can see what is going on. So in this, to support this process, it's really helpful to do the things that we're doing here, to slow down, to simplify experience, and to bring a kind attention, yeah, to bring a kind attention to our experience. And this allows us to see things that we don't normally see. Yeah. Allows us to see things that are normally beneath the surface of what we, we can tune into or see in our daily lives. Kind of more subtle aspects. And we can also see the habitual ways that we relate to life, right? because we're not kind of immediately transported to a different realm where we function completely differently. So a lot of what we see is the habitual ways that we respond. And that can be really, really useful to do. <laughs> so I think Nathan was touching on some of this in the guided meditation this morning, but I want to kind of bring it 
in and, and in more detail now. So what are some of these habitual ways? Yeah. So we experience contact yeah, between the senses, from the senses, yeah, from the seeing, the hearing, the smelling, the tasting, the feeling, and the mind. Yeah, the mind is one of the senses in, in Dharma. So we experience contact. Something is, uh, makes contact. Yeah? It can be a sound, it can be a sight, it can be a taste, a smell, a touch, or a thought. Something in our mental, emotional life. Yeah? So there is contact. And with that contact, we will immediately categorize that as it's nice or it's not nice. Yeah? This is nice or not nice. We do it very, very quickly. Yeah, the mind does it usually unconsciously. It's nice or not nice. Or it's somewhere in between that's not very well defined. Yeah. And that happens very, very, very quickly. And from that nice, not nice, that quickly kind of it's like a, a process of escalation that builds up, of building up. Nice, not nice. I like it. I don't like it. Yeah. I want it. I don't want it. Is this familiar? <laughs> you look at your minds. Yeah. I like it. I don't like it. I want it. I I don't want it, I need it, or I need it to go away. Yeah. So that is the habitual process. That is the way the mind um, operates, and that's the way experience gets built up and unfolds for us. And what happens is that we get identified with that experience. Yeah. We get identified with that, I need this, or I need this to go away. And if we feel into what that feels like, our whole world narrows down to that relationship. Yeah, we become very, very, I need this or I need this to go away. Yeah. So this is really important to see, really helpful to see. And as we get identified, we try to hold on or we try to push away. Yeah, try to hold on to something or we try to push it away. All we do and I'm not going to go into that so much here, but it's really important because most of our experience is actually in, the, in between. It's not strong enough for us to hold on to it and it's not strong enough for us to push away. So we kind of zone out or space out in those experiences that don't have a strong sense of nice or not nice to them. And we don't see the suffering that comes from that pushing away or trying to get whatever the object is. There is suffering in that movement. Does this make sense to people? Yeah. Yeah. Good. So the Buddha um, had a, a simile for this process um, of two arrows. Yeah. Of two arrows, which is one of my favorites because I think it's so clear. And he, he was pointing to the fact that as sensitive beings, you know, we have a sensitive body and we have a sensitive heart-mind. And as sensitive beings, we are affected by life. Yeah, things happen and they affect us. And that's inevitable, yeah? That's part of being a human being. And that is the first arrow. We can't escape that part of life, which is, you know, also very, very good, yeah? Because that sensitivity is also what brings the joy and the love. But that's the first arrow, that the kind of being human 
and being vulnerable and sensitive to life. So things happen within us, to us, and around us, and they affect us. We're affected by them. And then around that, or towards that, comes what the Buddha called the second arrow. It's actually a simplification. Lots of arrows tend to cluster there. (laughs) Yeah. Which is the way we react to that first arrow. Yeah. The way we react to that first arrow. That pushing away, that trying to get, and then the layers that build up around that. And so we can use a very, very simple example, you know. So we may have been, you know, this happens to me a lot. Like Sharon Salzberg, I'm a bit clumsy. So, you know, I might be walking around and I'll, you know, hit my toe against something or bang an elbow around something or hit my head on something, yeah. And that's the first arrow, yeah, that happens. And it's painful, yeah. It's unpleasant, okay. That's the first arrow. And then when we look at our... That's the sense contact also, by the way. And it'll be unpleasant. It won't be nice. (laughs) And then on top of that... We get the this, this second, third, fourth, fifth, one thousandth error. Yeah. Why did I do that? Why am I so clumsy? Why did someone put that thing there? You know, can go inside or outside. Why didn't I look? Why do I always do this? You know, and on and on and on. Familiar? You know, you might not be a clumsy person and it might come up in another way. But it's really simple situations when we see this building up of the second arrows. And the, the second arrow, this is the really beautiful part of the teaching, is that this second arrow is something that we can work with. Yeah? That is avoidable to a degree. Yeah? Of course, we all have very strong habits that are second arrows. <laughs> And we need to also kind of say, okay, it's a strong habit, momentum, that will bring it up. But then we have another possibility and another possibility to just gently deconstruct this process of the building of contraction and contraction and contraction. Yeah, more and more layers of errors. And again, that Sharon Salzberg example is so good because the habitual second error was there, yeah? Sharon, you klutz. But then, I love you which changes the whole experience. So I'm just going to check again. Does this make sense to people so far? And if at any point it doesn't, or you want me to repeat something or clarify, just really say. Yeah. So that we're kind of flowing together with this. So seeing that a lot of the suffering that we experience comes not from that initial contact but from layers of reactivity that we can work with this is a really important insight for us really important insight for us it doesn't mean this is really important it doesn't mean that if we're unhappy or if we're suffering it's our fault and we should be able to do something about it better than we're doing yeah it's it's not that's not what it says yeah But it says, here's a possibility. Here are possibilities. 
we can work with this, we can um, retrain our minds. <laughs> we can enjoy the mindfulness spells. Yeah. So that over time we create change. And sometimes that can be very immediate in our experience, a sense of relief. And sometimes it's something that we're nourishing and developing over time. So when we go back to that process, the contact at the sense door and that nice, not nice. I think maybe Nathan mentioned the Pali word for this is Vedana. No, he didn't mention. Okay is Vedana, which is this categorization of experience, which comes up very quickly, very, very quickly. Nice, not nice. Pleasant, not pleasant. Or somewhere in between. Yeah. And that, immediately imp that immediate impact yeah, that experience has, we don't notice it. We don't notice it. What we tend to notice is when things have already grown and escalated into something much more um, intense. Yeah, so that chain of, you know, not nice to I like, to I want, to I need. Yeah, and sometimes we only notice it when kind of the whole body and being is saying, get that thing away from me, you know, or that person or whatever it is. That's we only notice when it's that intense. So when we become more aware of this aspect of experience, this just this pleasant, unpleasant, and we can connect to that at any time, yeah? So we don't have to catch it at that original moment of contact because there's contact constantly happening. Yeah. And we notice, ah, there's that, that toe is hurting because I just hit it against a table and that's unpleasant. So the moment I catch it, the moment I connect to it, I can start paying attention to that aspect of experience. And that lessens the extra layers. It lessens the building up of, of contraction in the being and the identification, which means less suffering and more sense of well-being. Yeah. The less that process kind of escalates, does the word escalate, is that a clear enough word? Yeah. So the less that kind of building up of things happens, the less suffering, the less identification, the more well-being. So the sensations in the toe that was stubbed can be unpleasant. Yeah. They can be unpleasant. But paying attention to them can be something else. Yeah, and I don't know if people have had that experience. Staying with the sensations. Staying with that capacity to bring attention to the contact. That can actually become interesting. And interesting can become pleasant. And this is one of the amazing things about meditation practice. <laughs> is how things can actually change. The sensations can still be unpleasant. Yeah, it can be, I'm pointing to my knee, the good old knee pain. <laughs> the sensations can be unpleasant, but the interest can be pleasant. And that changes the whole experience. 
Yeah, it changes the whole experience. And then seeing the interest also as kindness or the attention, bringing attention as an act of kindness, yeah, can make this even more pleasant. Or can make it even, you know, just lessen the unpleasantness or the contraction. And it opens us up to more aspects of the experience. So instead of building up the layers of tension and contraction yeah, around what is going on and of the identification, you know, that voice in us. And if we're honest, we see this voice that says, this is all about me. You know, it's my toe. It's my knee. It's my pain. This is all about me. Yeah. When we stay at this place of just the contact, just the sensation, or just the unpleasant Vedana, that lessens, that dissolves, that building up. And that helps to loosen up the whole experience and to dissolve some of the suffering, at least. So it's a really um, very applicable practice and a very, very profound one that can deeply change our experience, both in the moment and as we do it over time, because it becomes more accessible, more accessible to us, not getting as caught up in things. And it reduces the suffering both for us individually and in the world. So, in the story I told about Sharon Salzberg, her particular practice at the time was metta, was this practice of um, cultivating an attitude of kindness and of friendliness and of goodwill towards experience. And this attitude which we can develop yeah, through meditation, it's inbuilt to the practices that we do. And we can also prioritize it. Um, is a real, um, a real asset to us, yeah? It's a real asset. The more sense of welcoming we have towards what arises, the less this process of contraction and building up of, of self and of contraction will happen. And we can really feel that in our own bodies and hearts and minds. If you imagine yourself, you know, and we all have these times when you feel at ease, relaxed, open, yeah, friendly towards life to some degree, yeah, doesn't need to be like, you know, that you're running around hugging and kissing everybody, you're just feeling relatively open and welcoming towards life. When that is present, do you think it would be possible to feel aversion towards something? Just feel into your own experience. If you're feeling relaxed, open, spacious, friendly, welcoming, in that space, is it possible to feel aversive, to push something away? 
the stronger it is, the less likely that aversion will arise. And if it arises, that too is then, it arises, it's kind of immediately diluted. I think again, if we go back to that Sharon Salzberg story, yeah, that, that habit was there, but it was held in that field of metta. And so it immediately gets diluted and transformed. And similarly, if we're feeling, yeah, spacious, open, relaxed, friendly, welcoming, it's, it's kind of quite a, feels quite a thing to then kind of want something else than what is here, right? <laughs> to kind of want something else than what is here in a way that again contracts us, yeah? Because there's quite a lot of just ease with what is present. So this is really interesting. It's really interesting that we can cultivate these ways of being, develop them through practice, that then in themselves, in themselves, ease the contraction or dilute the identification in themselves. So again, this rewiring, this reprogramming of our brains yeah, through the practices so that this becomes more spontaneous, more available. I'll just share something from my own experience. I was noticing um, in the last few months that things happen, and these are things that normally really trigger me. And when I really kind of see what my response is, even if the mind is triggered, I'll be smiling. Yeah? So something will happen that normally triggers me, that kind of irritates me or um, annoys me um, or kind of gets me feeling a bit maybe agitated. But then I find myself, even if the mind is going through the normal kind of routine, I'm smiling, which then really shifts the experience, yeah? It just can't root can't kind of grow its roots as deeply yeah and so it doesn't have such an effect so a real um, increase in the well-being and the it's another word that Rick Hansen uses a lot resilience yeah the kind of our capacity to um, be in in life with whatever is thrown at us without being as deeply um, affected by it yeah in a negative way, in a negative way. So really important to remember with this, we're not trying to get rid of particular experiences or particular feelings that we have. Yeah, we're open to the whole, yeah, the whole spectrum of, of the human experience. Yeah, we're not trying to just have nice experiences or nice feelings. That's not what, it, what, what it's about. We're interested in changing our relationship to what comes up and in seeing if we can be more open, more fluid, more flexible, yeah, less contracted yeah, and have more choice in what happens. <coughs> and this is true of our relationship to our own experience. Yeah. And it's also true um, in relationship to the experience of others. Yeah, we can have that same fluidity and that same welcoming and that same creativity 
when we meet others and, you know, their suffering or their difficulty or their well-being. So we have a little bit of time, so maybe we can have time for questions. If there's any questions that have come up from this, including you didn't understand anything I said. Yes. Let's see whether I can actually verbalize it. Sure. That's a great question. It's a great question. So there can be different ways and you need to you can check what helps. Yeah. So one part of the cultivation is we cultivate these kind of both the capacity to pay attention to this, you know, in this case the kind of unpleasant sensation. Um, so we, we what we do some of the practice at times when it's not that extreme, yeah, when it's not that hard, like needing to pee for over a period of time and not being able to go because you need to stay with your young child. Um, so we strengthen that capacity at other times, yeah, when it's easier, with things that are easier. That's one thing that we can do. And then in the moment itself, we can experiment with what works, yeah, and there's lots of different ways that we can play with. So one would be just like with the, the, the toe that's painful or the knee pain in meditation that's painful of just noticing the unpleasant aspect of the experience yeah and sometimes um with peeing it's it's a tricky one but there'll be contraction in the body around that uh, that the, the pain or the unpleasant sensation and so sometimes we can see if we can relax some of that contraction that can really help um, bringing the attitude of metta can also sometimes really help in the moment. Yeah. Of just, you know, just feeling that care for yourself in this case. You know, uh, this is, you know, I really wish for myself to have some ease. Yeah. To have some ease in this situation, which is, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic example because it's something simple but also very, very uncomfortable. So we can play with these different ways and see what works for you at different times. Yeah. 
And sometimes what creates more space would be to shift the attention to somewhere else that is feeling okay, that can also help to relax that, that tension and build up. Does that respond to your question? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Really good question. Anything else? So, just want to try and make sense of something that I. Yes. I don't know if this. Yeah. Go for it, please. I'm thinking about also like the what, what you were talking about this like contraction mm. of, of the mind or yeah uh, and uh, <clears throat> and also about like positive experiences. Mm -hmm. I don't know where the question is, <laughs> but but like if I have, I, I really recognize the feeling of like contracting around the mm -hmm. negative experience. Yeah. But how would it be if it's something positive? Like what would be the contraction and what, yeah. what's that? Yeah, excellent question too. So with with a positive, the contraction could be um, wanting more of it or not wanting it to change, mm -hmm. not wanting not wanting it to go away. Yeah, so that would be often the contraction and the, the relaxing of the contraction again could be through the body and could be, um, you know, just opening to, to let that pleasant thing be and also go when it's time for it to leave. Yeah, so then we're just opening and sometimes that again actually increases the pleasantness because we're not doing this. Does that make sense? Does that answer your, your question or yeah, not completely? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but really, really good question. Yeah. Yeah, it can be obvious to us in one way and not in the other. But, um, you know, I think this is something really revolutionary about the Buddha's teaching that he said, you know, that, that, that dukkha, on that level of the contraction of the trying to hold on to things or to push them away, is there always. Yeah, on some level we're doing that. Um, and this does not mean that we need to lose the joy in life, but we, as we recognize that and we learn to let go of that, then actually the, the joy increases. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think on the previous retreat, Nath gave an example from my mother, who's a great teacher about this. And uh, when I, I'll give a different one from her. When I was a child, she used to always quote this Swiss folktale about someone who um, used to cry when they were going downhill and be really happy when they were going uphill because they were always anticipating what was coming next. Yeah, and that was kind of, that's kind of my mother's life philosophy. So <laughs> when things are going well, you kind of worry about what's not going to go well. And uh, when things are going unwell, you're kind of, not well, you're kind of happy that something good is going to come later but it's like not actually being here and enjoying what is present yeah so i hope that was a, a good a kind of good example for that but that sense of yeah not allowing the good to just be good so thank you for your listening and your questions um 
I got another minute? No, I haven't got another minute. Yeah. So yeah, thank you and time for dinner. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.